Bible held town. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, Apple and Facebook uh, shares moved significantly higher after both companies handily beat on earnings and sales. Apple also announces a seven-for-one stock split and a big stock buyback. GE makes a $13 billion move on French conglomerate Alstom, and Russia renews its threat to intervene in Ukraine. Locally, Hong Kong lifts sanctions against the Philippines. You just heard that uh, in our news. China opens up some 80 projects in state-run areas for investment, and Sinook is offering some $4 billion of bonds in another big boost to dollar-based issuance here in Asia. We'll touch upon all these stories a bit later in the program, but first, a little taste of what's to come. We believe our current stock price does not reflect the full value of the company. The size of the share back increase is a signal of the board and the management team's strong confidence in the future of Apple. Tim Cook there, the CEO of Apple. And it's not all that often that you hear a CEO talking about the stock price. So lots more of that in just a moment. And who's this? Well, it's pretty obvious. The most accurate and the most important thing is that Bill is one of the world's best investors. I had the privilege of watching him in action, and he is just a great investor, someone who's able to differentiate signals from noise and someone who's very committed to deliver value. That's Mohammed El Arian giving his first interview after departing from the big bond firm PIMCO. And he talks quite a bit there about Bill Gross. In our interview segments, we'll be talking about Apple and Facebook and probably PIMCO a little bit. And also see if the tech flush is finally coming to an end. We'll also take a look at hedge fund strategies with Robert Howe of Geomatrix. Also speaking with Enzio von Feil of MCL Partners on regional issues. And we'll be looking at the diverging economic indicators that appear in Japan and the United States. Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting will be along for that. In market action this morning, U.S. futures higher after the earnings from Facebook and Apple. New Zealand's dollar climbing to a one-week high after the central bank raised interest rates. The yield on the 10-year dropped one basis point to 2.70%. And the equity markets are all higher here in Asia, but not by all that much. The Nikkei up four points at 14,550. In Australia, the ASX up a point. In Seoul, Kospi up six points. That's a gain of one third of one percent. Okay, well, let's take a look at these news, and then we'll bring in our August guests for you this morning. Apple stock surging 8% in after-hours trading after posting very strong earnings. The company just about beat on everything and gave a strong outlook as well. The company also did two things to reassure uh, reassure investors. It reported a surge on iBook, or rather iPhone sales, and it gave shareholders a $30 billion boost in its stock buyback program. We continue to be in the fortunate position of being able to return significant capital to shareholders. We started doing so two years ago when we announced our first program of $45 billion, and we more than doubled the program last April to $100 billion. Today we're announcing that we're increasing the size of our program once again with an addition of over $30 billion for a total program size of over $130 billion. The size and pace of our program is unprecedented, and we still expect to complete it by December of 2015, as we announced last year. 
Second quarter profit was up 7% to $10.2 billion. Sales rose 4.7% to $45.6 billion. Both smoked analyst estimates. iPhone sales, by the way, $43.7 million. That was way above the estimates from analysts of $37.7 million. And the company also, as we mentioned, announced a 7-for-1 stock split. That makes it easier for retail investors to buy. And the split also removes an opt- obstacle for Apple to uh, join the Dow average, which it will now likely do. Now, Facebook also beat on the top and bottom lines. The company tripled earnings, tripled earnings in the first quarter. It demonstrated strong growth in advertising. Sales up 72%, shares up about 4% in after hours trade. And then, as alluded to earlier, Mohammed El Arian gave his first interview. He gave it to Bloomberg after he left PIMCO. Wow, what a great time. I had the privilege of working with the best of the best in the industry. I was there for 14 years, including six years as the CEO and the co-CIO. I have lots of friends. I value the acquaintances. I value what we did in terms of serving our clients. But it was time for me to do something different. It was time for me to step back and have a different perspective on life. He elaborates here on why he left and what he's doing now. The key issue is it was time for me to do something different. I mean, look at what I'm doing now. I have this wonderful portfolio of part-time activities. I have up to 50% of my time is with Allianz, the corporate parent of PIMCO. And that's incredible platform to be able to participate in the mega trends that are going on, Mm. be it demography, be it finance. Then I'm writing for you, for Bloomberg View, on a daily basis. That keeps me involved in the high-frequency, market-moving, economic-moving, policy-moving things. I've got a periodic column for the Financial Times. I've got a book that, that, as you said in the beginning, has just been picked up by a U.S. publisher. And I've got the flexibility to spend time with my daughter. So so this is a great part-time portfolio, and I'm really excited. And believe me, it's keeping me plenty busy. Mohamed El Arian, the former CEO of PIMCO, talking a little bit in his interview about his dispute with Bill Gross, his plans to move on and what he was doing uh, at the moment. In some other news, GE is in talks to buy Alstom, the big French firm, for about $13 billion. Alstom is a builder of trains and power plants, and this would be General Electric's biggest acquisition ever. The amount is also some 25% more than Alstom's current market value. Just a few other Um, ongoing aspects of the uh, market movements of the moment. Uh, Here's uh, an interesting uh, stat. The uh, New Zealand dollar uh, gaining uh, and looking at the Australian dollar, it's down to 92.94 cents. And the Hong Kong dollar up over 13, uh, or rather the, uh, yeah, up over at at 13.01 against the U.S. dollar, while the dollar yen is 102.50 and the euro is at $1.38. Let's say good morning now to Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting. Peter, good morning to you. Good morning, Brian. So that's what I've been talking about. What are you interested in talking about? Okay. Um, a little well, closer I, to the mic, please. Thanks. A, a couple of things. Apple, first of all. Um, I suppose one big surprise in the uh, in the Apple earnings, everyone has been talking about what is their next big blockbuster product going to be. Um, but what we actually saw was them increasing revenues from an existing product, um, the the iPhone, which no one really um, no one expected. sort of expected at all. Um, now, a lot of that came out of the outside of the US. Um, you know, there's good growth in Asia um, and in other developing sort of markets, but Nevertheless, it was impressive that they were able to eke out more revenues from some of their um, sort of existing products. 
Um, it also does sort of remind you a little bit as well about how much companies are dependent upon share buybacks at the moment. I mean, Apple can obviously afford it. It has a huge amount of, uh, of cash on its books, about $150 billion. But we are seeing um, a, a lot of bottom line increases coming these days through um, sort of share buybacks, which is, I think, less, um, less positive for the, for the market going forward. And yeah, it's good, good for the shareholders, but maybe not uh, a great sign for the overall market. Although in, in Apple's case, with all that money, what do you, you got to do something yeah, with it? With Apple, Apple they also said exception. they made they made uh, a lot of acquisitions in the last year, and they plan to continue to do so. Yes, yep, that's a good sign. Now, Facebook. I mean, Facebook was also interesting um, as well. I mean, what what was interesting there was for the first time ever, mobile advertising revenue made up. Um, sort of half, more than half of all of their um, sort of advertise, uh, all of their revenue from advertising. So it it gives you an indication of what their thinking is in buying applications like WhatsApp, for example. They really are going all in um, on the uh, on the mobile side. A CFO is leaving. However, it seems like uh, it's not necessarily a bad story because uh, in the call after the earnings, Zuckerberg was praising uh, uh, the departing CFO and uh, said that he was um, you know hugely. Uh, uh, involved in everything they've done over the past uh, four or five years and uh, that he he was uh, very happy with his performance. Yeah, and there's going to be a transition as well up until, I think, September. So I, I think they've handled that pretty well. The, the shares were up, interestingly, although they're up 4% after market. Actually, that's not a great performance. Facebook has this sort of history of shares uh, normally up around, on average, about 12% when they do their earnings announcement. So the market doesn't seem to be overly excited. Does about that mean you'll buy Facebook. some? <laughs> I won't, but... <laughs> it's not your type of buy. Not my type of buy. So, yeah. so what we've sort you of like s- to buy things that hurt when you drop money. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so we've seen a little bit of a well, quite a bit of the reversal of the route in tech shares that we saw um, sort of at the beginning. Of the yeah, month, that's a big question because we've seen twenty, thirty, forty percent declines here. A little bit of a bounce back in ten cent and a few of the techs yesterday. Does that continue? Do you think? Are we have we sort of flushed out a lot of that? I, I think we have. I, I think you know, as we move through earnings season, it's going to be harder and harder. Harder to you know to, to to come up with ways in which we're we're going to find sort of going forward how some of these valuations are going to be. Justified. Do you think it was a big mistake? Do you think uh, you know this wave that swept through selling down the tech stocks so dramatically like that? Do you think it was just strategies that came out that ended up being a mistake? Look at look at Apple's earnings. Look at Facebook's earnings. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's no doubt that there's a, you know hedge funds have a, a, a list of sort of you know certain stocks which are very heavily um, sort of shorted, um, and and you know yes maybe there's been a short squeeze in, uh, in, in, some of those, um, in some of those stocks. But nevertheless, I, I do think that you know, we, we've still got to justify some of these valuations. I mean, there was a, a report out earlier this week from a famous hedge fund uh, manager, David Einhorn, who yeah. thought that you know, tech stocks were in another um, sort of big bubble similar to the one that preceded the, uh, the, the crash in 2000. So we may see a little uh, tussle here. We may see the bears and the bulls really battling over the tech space. Uh, maybe it doesn't continue um, uh, to go down. Um, you know, maybe the sh- latest short-term break to the upside doesn't continue. What about this big move on GE on uh, Alstom? Is M&A activity a positive sign in your view? Well, it, it is. I mean, you know, I think where we have we have seen um, a, a huge um, amount of M&A activities in the pharma sector um, sort of this week, and we've seen some big sort of blockbuster deals. Um, sort of going on um, sort of there. And that again has, you know, sort of fueled this rebound that we've seen um, over the last sort of couple of weeks with the S&P 500 now, you know, very close to its
its all-time high um, uh, again. And it is partly M&A activity that is fueling that. Share buybacks have helped a little bit. But there is a limit to how far that can go before we start coming back to, you know, the, the fundamentals. And the fundamentals, two big themes in the world, is the China slowdown and then also just how much is the U.S. really recovering. The economic data has been good with one very notable caveat, which is the U.S. housing markets, which is now um, slowing down again quite rapidly. And we saw, um, you know, we saw some U.S. home sales yesterday, the weakest since uh, July, down 14.5% compared to the previous month. And, we, and previously, you know, that's been a good sort of leading indicator. It was the housing market that led uh, the, the U.S. out of recession. And we're now seeing a slowdown in that sector. Late last year, though, interest rates popped up uh, quite a bit. Uh, and now they've come back down a little bit. So after the cold winter, you know, the next quarter will be interesting for housing, won't it? Yes. Yeah. Everything is being blamed on the weather these days. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, you know? yeah, that's true. Uh, but it was it was pretty bad. What about Japan? The data there deteriorating. We said that we talked to you about U.S. and Japan. The economy is traveling in sort of opposite directions. Um, you're kind of an expert on Japan. What's happening? Well, I mean, we, we saw, for example, um, earlier this week, Japan posted its largest ever trade deficit um, in the in the last fiscal year for uh, for March. And in, um, in January also, it had a monthly record uh, trade deficit. And there is a real danger that the current account deficit could uh, the current account could turn negative for the first time since 1980. So we've had a couple of, you know, we had four months in a row of um, sort of deficits that was broken um, in, uh, in March. But nevertheless, you know, the, the fundamentals of the, uh, of the economy are deteriorating, which wasn't supposed to happen, um, you know, with, with abenomics and, um, you know, the stimulus that's, uh, you know, that's being put in place. But what is clear is that, and we're seeing this on the trade data as well, you know, exports are not growing, imports are surging. So the fundamentals of the Japanese economy are starting to deteriorate. And it tells me that what needs to happen very urgently is the, the next step of this, which is, you know, fiscal reform and structural reform. Okay, I've got Robert Howe. I want to bring him in in just a moment. But first, a question. Does the um, slippage in exports for Japan, does that tell you more about what's happening in China? Or does it tell you that Europe and the U.S. aren't very strong? I, I, think, it, um, I think it does tell you that, um, you know, Europe and uh, the U.S. are not as strong as maybe... Um, you know, some of the data might uh, might suggest those that, of us taking hopium uh, would uh, would suggest. Yeah, the, the the recovery is there in the U.S., but you know, it, it is not a strong recovery. It's it's you know, it's it's going along just about um, in, in enough to sort of you know keep the taper going. But we're not seeing a surge in sort of economic activity in the U.S., and that's partly because you know households are still under pressure. It is the domestic, it is the, the the retail investor in both Japan, in the in Europe, and in the U.S. that's really feeling the squeeze. Okay. Robert Howe, Chief Executive Officer of the hedge fund manager Geomatrix, is with us now on the line from Hawaii. Good morning, Mr. Howe. Good morning. Hi. Aloha. <laughs> yeah, aloha from Hawaii. Uh, great to have you on the program. Uh, interested to hear some of your strategies. Um, QE still pumping it out, but at a slightly slower pace. The uh, stock market in the United States has um, been doing pretty well here just of late. Yeah, I mean, I think we've covered the, the, some of the reasons. The M&A shows you what, what smarter people think are, are right valuations for, for, for takeovers. We love the fact that, that it's kind of a not too hot, not too cold. The soup's just the right flavor in, in this recovery. If, if the economic rec- economies were recovering strongly in any of these markets, then the punch bowl gets taken away. And the punch bowl's what drives stock prices. It always has and 
and always will. That's what QE is. And, and in Japan, we call that something called Marshallian K, which was a quantitative, just a simple ratio of, of money supply to GDP growth. It's, it's, it's good that the economy, that the recovery is muted. And profits are, are good in the U.S. So but if you had, great, if, if you had some, if you had some fresh money to put to work, I mean, you've got the valuations of stocks, uh, the total market cap at a very high percentage of GDP in comparison to history. Wouldn't you be thinking more about some of these um, values in emerging markets that took quite a hit in the last half year? I think so. I mean, we, we in our hedge fund, we own DEM, which is the dividend emerging market ETF. You're getting a 4.5% yield. Um, you know, you're getting Russia, which is sold off on the Crimea situation. Brazil, there's been a lot of concerns. You, yeah, absolutely. It's oh. a, you know, you're gonna, you might have to wait for a year, but it, these things are compelling values. Do you like the new economy stocks in China, or do you like some of the old economy stocks, a state-run sector that uh, have valuations very low? I don't. I never like um, state-run enterprises in China or really anywhere. Um, you know, even Petrobras in Brazil has been a disaster. It, no, um, we do like a, selectively some of the new economy stocks. We're long bid auto, for instance. Um, we uh, have Chihu, which is a, a number two browser and number one in internet security. Now the valuations are high, but basically in, in high growth um, sectors like this, you know, they can grow. Their business model is just so leveraged. Every bit of new revenue falls to the bottom line. And if you if you find the internet winners, um, you know they're going to be you know the profits are going to be much bigger in, in two or three years. We're seeing a lot of uh, bond issuance in U.S. dollars uh, in Asia. Sinook, the latest, uh, marketing some four billion dollars uh, of of dollar bonds in some three parts. Uh, you've had companies in the Philippines, South Korea. Deutsche Bank is forecasting a big increase in U.S. currency note issuance here in Asia. Is that something that interests you? It's it's a little bit worrisome in that although you know this is not bank debt but, but bond debt but remember <laughs> in 1997 my my hair turned white in about six weeks as the currencies plummeted when you had this mismatch of, of U.S. dollar borrowing and and uh, you know business in the domestic currency so I, I actually kind of worries me that they're going the interest rates are so low in the United States it looks like free money but. There never is free money. Let me ask Peter Lewis, who's sitting with me in our studios here in Broadcasting House, uh, is this uh, in any way a replay of 97-98? I, I don't think it's exactly the, exactly the same, but I, I think what, what I do worry about is, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, an important um, indicator, you know, the, the value of the market cap to GDP, which is at, uh, you know, sort of an all-time high. We see some things which, you know, suggest there are um, sort of problems. You know, the Australian dollar, for example, is a good sort of indicator of what's going on. It's it's getting weaker, partly because of China growth, but also, you know, in, in the developing markets, we're just not seeing any inflation anywhere. In fact, in some places, you know, there's outright deflation now. There's almost, you know, I think 10 countries in the Eurozone which are, um, you know, in deflation at the moment. The so, you know, if, if you have deflation, it's good holding bonds. Um, it's maybe good holding bonds, but ultimately it's not good for stocks uh, right. at all. Um, yeah. So, you know, you do need some, um, you know, uh, inflation, moderate inflation, certainly for, you know, for the equity market. Okay, so back to Bob Howe. Um, is there anything that you could uh, crystallize for us as your favorite investment idea of the MoMA store theme? Um, yeah, I mean, we like, you know, sectors which are now emerging as, you know, more stable oligopolies. If you 
and we, and we tend to prefer U.S. stocks that they're you know better management. You've got QE going on, earnings uh, relentless increase in efficiency using technology to make it more uh, to increase return on equities. So if you look at the airline sector, we sit in Hawaii. Hawaii Airlines, uh, Hawaii Holdings was up six and a half percent this year, building out its roots all through Asia, bringing bringing Asians to paradise here. Um, the, the Delta was up very strong. This was a this was a sector which has been a just a terrible place to invest for decades and is now shaken down. If you look at the at the semiconductor sector, Micron Technology has hit twenty five dollars an all time high. There's only three makers of semiconductors in the world that are left. So, you know, there's some there's some really interesting sectors, mostly with uh, U.S. ownership and management that, that we like. Okay. We're long. All right, Robert, uh, please don't gloat on where you live in paradise like that. Uh, we live in Hong Kong where <laughs> the air is bad and then the streets are crowded. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for joining I, I, us. I'm, I'm there a third of my time. There are two island paradises. Uh, New York on steroids is Hong Kong, and New York on quaaludes is, is Hawaii sometimes. So okay. <laughs> Interesting characterization. Thank you very much. Robert Howe, Chief Executive Officer of Geomatrix. The time is 24 minutes after 8. Say good morning now to Enzio von File, founder of MCL Partners. Enzio, good morning. Morning to you, Brian. Uh, what are you most interested in at the moment? The bifurcation of markets. In other words, that they're going their own ways. Normally, people feel that where the U.S. goes, so go Asian markets. Well, that's been turned on its head a little bit of mm. late. Yeah. Doesn't mean that it's over with forever. Um, but I do see. Increased earnings in America, more M&A activity in Europe. Thus, those are two fairly strongish markets, whilst you have less lending in the emerging markets. And, well, then there's always Japan, but Japan just doesn't want to um, structurally reform. So that place is just going to become a bit of a submarine, I'm afraid. But it's this bifurcation theme that I'm beginning to think about and talk with clients about. And in that bifurcation, does it bring you at all to the Hong Kong doorstep? It does, um, but Hong Kong's problems are really China's problems from a market perspective because we are the water skier off the back of the Chinese speedboat. And with the Chinese economy continuing, or the economic time, as we put it, continuing to slow down the excess demand for money, the tightening, the less lending on the um, bank side, the that just means that Hong Kong itself cannot prosper. But I also have to say Hong Kong is not doing itself any favors with all of this agitation about things like Occupy Central, which in my mind are a bit are turnoffs for investors who are saying who don't know Hong Kong and then are saying, gosh, what's going on in that place? Maybe we'd better just go somewhere else. In fact, APEC did just that. But you had a lot of, um, you know, pretty high profile investors just come out in the last day saying that, um, 
you know, that they uh, they support the movement because the goal is crucial to Hong Kong's future. Well, you had two investors who are local investors doing that, too, from my perspective, at least. So, but I'm I'm talking more about the the hedge fund manager sitting in New York City, the asset allocator sitting in Frankfurt or in London, saying, "Hmm, where do we put our money?" While Hong Kong, gee, what do you what do you hear about this Occupy Central stuff going on? Yeah, the market is just so poorly performing here. You wonder if you're souring a whole generation of investors on buying stocks uh, in Hong Kong and China. It's really been five to seven years. Uh, yeah, you had a few sectors that performed well last year. But uh, then again, when I start thinking that, I start thinking maybe that's about the time that, um, you know, people move in. I'm more of an optimist than a pessimist on Hong Kong for the very simple reason that I believe that Chinese are incredibly practical, pragmatic people and that this place will start moving again, maybe not in the shape and form that we're used to, but I think there's a lot of good, there's a lot of energy in a place such as Hong Kong and that's why I think that especially with China's recovery coming in about nine months' time in my mind, you will find this place moving up again quite rapidly. Some people seem to think that the China managers do quite well, that um, you know that they're bright, and they're making the right long-term moves. But just a moment ago, you suggested that the Hong Kong authorities and others here are shooting themselves in the foot, and that's hurting performance. Could you elaborate on that? Well, what I mean by that, and thank you for asking, is that the investing is about more than just pure economics and pure valuations. It's confidence, too. It's confidence, and confidence really in that fuzzy stuff that you can't quantify like leadership and all that. And if LegCo, for instance, is an example of the democracy that we're supposed to be getting here, well, then I can understand why certain overseas asset allocators are saying, Hong Kong, nine danke, not yet. And Peter Lewis, do you agree with that? Well, to a certain extent. I mean, I, I think, you know, in terms of what we want to see is we want to see a return to growth in, in China. I mean, I, I think it's going to slip below its target of 7.5%. But that isn't catastrophic, I have to say. What, what I think is very important is the, the composition of that growth. That's what needs to change. So there's going to be a natural slowdown as, you know, as China tries to rebalance away from what is a very investment-driven economy where it's getting very, very hard now to find. But, but the confidence isn't there. I, you know, if you had a slowdown in growth, you would imagine that stock prices would have to come down a little bit because they would reflect that slowdown. But you're talking about stock prices that are down 70, 80 percent, 90 percent. Look at the shippers. I mean, they've been yeah. killed. So obviously, hedge fund managers, as referred to by Enzio sitting in New York or asset allocators, uh, you know, in Europe or or New York or Los Angeles, San Francisco, they're worried about some sort of major catastrophe in China. Enzio, is that is that true? Is that what people are worried about? Yeah, because they're looking at it from a tick box fashion. They're, they're not here, you know, in the pit, so to speak. They're looking, they're from the, they're the 15th row to the back. So they don't see all the details and the machinations. They just get Western filtered articles coming through saying end of democracy in Hong Kong or too much democracy or agitation in Hong Kong. In China, it's this big, these huge shifts. Okay, we're just about out of time. Sorry to interrupt. We only have about 15 seconds. You say you like the divergence, the bifurcation. What do you like? I'm very much still on the steady-as-she-goes consumer stocks. I think that 
anything that people have to have, medical, consumer, old age, water, things like this. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. The clock ticks and we're out of time. This is Money for Nothing. And this is a Thursday. Thanks to Enzio Von File, founder of MCL Partners. And Peter Lewis, CEO of Peter Lewis Consulting. Briefly, uh, market's a bit mixed this morning. Japan has turned a little bit lower, but the other markets are slightly higher. Weather today, cloudy with one or two rain patches, so mist. Maximum temperature about 24 degrees today. The outlook for the next couple of days, ha, 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 brighter conditions. We might even see the sun. And this is Money for Nothing at 8.30. The news is next, and then back chat on Radio 3. News with Samantha Butler. President Obama is due to meet the Japanese Emperor Akihito and hold talks with the Prime Minister Shinzo Abe on the second day of an Asian tour intended to reaffirm America's commitment to the region. Japan and other U.S. allies are seeking assurances of support in their territorial disputes with China. Radio Australia's Matthew Carney reports. President Obama is likely to confirm the Japanese alliance as the key relationship in America's rebalancing or pivot back into the Asia-Pacific. It's believed the leaders will stand in solidarity in the face of China's increasingly assertive behaviour in the region. The president has said all disputes have to be resolved through dialogue and diplomacy, not intimidation and coercion. The two leaders will also discuss how to deal with North Korea. It's threatened to continue a 